Well, welcome to Graceway Baptist Church. This is our Sunday school hour for, uh, let me see, February 12th. And uh, so if you have not uh, done your Valentine's Day shopping, you might, as, might ought to get it done. And uh, we are still moving on in the book of Haggai. And in this particular message that Haggai has from the Lord, it's a kind of an interesting slash weird uh, change here. And uh, we might wonder, now how does this fit in? And why in the world would the Lord, after he's told the people, I'm with you and uh, I'm going to help you with all of this, now the message kind of turns um, maybe a little bit negative. Well, maybe, maybe not. Because we have the title of the message here, the temple does not, in parenthesis, cannot make you acceptable to God. Because I think there was something going on that the Lord, obviously knowing the hearts and the minds, the thoughts and the motives of everybody, just like he does ours, he is confronting something here that he doesn't like in them. Now, here's the introduction. The remnant had the same problem as previous generations. Now, they may have looked better, they may have acted better and appeared to be more obedient, but the same problem remains in all of them. What is that? They were sinners. And they had been working on the new temple about three months. And so here's the question. Were they righteous or more righteous because of what they were doing? And were they starting to feel, here's a big, big problem, self-righteous? You know, we can always do that. We can get a little bit of pride and we think we're better than others. We think we are more advanced and more spiritual than other people are. And um, I, the truth of it, it may be that we actually are. The problem is when we start believing that we are and thinking that we are because we don't relate to other people properly. We look down on them, we condemn them, and, and then we get into the thing to where we play the game of, well, at least my sin's not as bad as their sin. Well, just put it this way. Any sin that you had cost Jesus a horrible death on the cross and to suffer the wrath of God. So none of us at the foot of the cross are any better or worse than anyone else. The ground is level, someone said, at the foot of the cross. But yet human nature always looks for a way to kind of be superior, to be prideful, to look down on other people. That's a, a hard thing. So maybe... I'm going to surmise that as these people were working on the temple, maybe the thought entered their mind, maybe they even expressed it, boy, we sure are better than those other people that lived who caused the temple to be torn down. And isn't this great what we're doing? And, you know, that type of thing. And it must have turned into a sense of self-righteousness. God must really be happy with us because we're rebuilding the temple. So... Uh, let, let's think about this again. Were they starting to feel self-righteous? Old, young, good or bad from a human standpoint, all are unrighteous and unable to redeem themselves. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God, remember? And um, I, I think it's kind of funny. I keep chasing rabbits here. Um, on TV and different shows, you know, you'll see somebody that messes up and then they ask their boss, I need a chance to redeem myself. Well, 
You know, the thing is, truly, you cannot redeem yourself. Someone else has to redeem you. Everything is tainted by our sin. And so no matter how we reform ourselves or how much better we try to do, it's all self-effort and it's all motivated by selfishness and it is also uh, tainted or touched and stained by our sin. And so Jesus is the one who has to make us righteous. So let's go back to this. Perhaps they were starting to feel pride in themselves. And so in this uh, fifth message, the Lord uses an analogy of ritual holiness and defilement to compel reflection upon the actual status of the people before Him in verses 10 through 14. Consideration of that status and its relation to past agricultural failures before the temple restoration, verses 15 through 17, and consideration of their experience since rebuilding of the temple began, verses 18 and 19. That's out of the ESV study Bible, and you can see it's in quotes there. Uh, just kind of help us think a little bit about what is going on. So our passage that we're going to look at, four verses, Haggai chapter 2, verses 10 through 14. So let's read it together, okay? On the 24th day of the month, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came by Haggai, the prophet, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Now ask the priests concerning the law, saying, If one carries a holy meat, something for sacrifice, in the fold of his garment, and with the edge of uh, his garment, he touches bread or stew, wine or oil or any food, will it become holy? In other words, if something that is set apart and, for, and made holy for sacrifice touches something that is just common kind of stuff, does it all of a sudden become holy because it came in contact with the quote-unquote the holy food? Okay. So what are the priests going to say? Well, then the priest answered and said, No. I mean, that's pretty clear, isn't it? Verse 13, And Haggai said, uh, Here's another scenario. Well, if one is unclean because of a dead body and he touches any of these, will it be unclean? And the priest answered and said, It shall be unclean, unacceptable for worship or for sacrifice. Okay? You weren't supposed to come in contact with a dead body. And if you were, you were ceremonially unclean because uh, death is the result of sin. See, And so uh, verse 14, then Haggai answered and said, here's the point. So is this people and so is this nation before me, says the Lord. And so is every work of their hands and what they offer there is unclean. Wow, that's a downer. Well, maybe, maybe it's not. Maybe it's actually a blessing. Maybe it's actually a gospel seed that is being planted. You know, before anybody gets saved, they have to know and they have to accept and believe not just the good aspect of the gospel, but the negative aspect of the gospel. In other words, um, as a pastor I grew up under used to say, you got to get somebody lost 
before you can ever get them saved. Boy, that is really true because the lost world doesn't see any need for salvation. God loves you, we say to them, and they go, well, of course he does. I'm a great person. Everybody loves me. And uh, they don't see their sin and they don't see the situation. So let's uh, break this down and think of it like this. Number one, righteousness is based in revelation from God himself. We find that in verses 10 and 11. So uh, on this 24th day of the ninth month in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet. Well, see, these people didn't say it. Or they didn't see it. They didn't get it. And they certainly weren't going to act on it until God confronted them. And that's what we uh, see whenever we witness to people. You can tell them till you're blue in the face that they need a Savior. But until the Holy Spirit convicts them of their sin and they see their lostness, they see the wrath of God, they see the, uh, the eternal hell that awaits them after death. And until they get it, that it is appointed unto man once to die and after this the judgment, it, it doesn't really mean anything to them. Jesus even said, no one can come to uh, me unless the Father draws him. I don't know why it's so hard for us to get that, why people fight against that. The Bible very clearly says, both in the Psalms, in the Old Testament, of course, and in the New Testament, in Romans chapter 3, no one seeks after God. There is none righteous, no, not one. We are spiritually dead in our trespasses and sins. We don't see it, we don't get it, and we are unable to really do anything about it. It has to be the work of the Lord. And so the Lord confronts us, and he lets us see our sin and the coming judgment, and that changes everything whenever we really get it and whenever we really see it. And that's what is happening here. Thus says the Lord of hosts, ask the priests concerning the law. Okay? So without the Lord's intervention, people live by an assumed goodness. I mean, that's nearly everybody you see with very few exceptions in the world. They say, well, I'm not perfect, but I'm, you know, I, I'm, I'm pretty good. And he's a good old boy. And, you know, we do good things. And these are good people, we might say. In other words, with very few exceptions, people think that, you know, I'm not perfect, but I'm good enough. Good enough to get into heaven. And why are you good enough to get into heaven? Because I'm maybe 51% righteous. I've kept... 51% of the Ten Commandments, 51% of the time. And they don't understand that the standard of God is, if you're going to go by the law, you've got to keep 100% of the law 100% of the time. Now, who can do that? Well, nobody but Jesus has ever done that. But they have the idea that I'm good enough to be accepted by God. I'm not perfect, but I'm good enough. Think about that. And think about people you've talked to. Think about how you felt before you were saved. You didn't really worry about eternity. And it's because you had the assumption of righteousness and you had the idea that you were good enough. Okay? So salvation by grace means little or nothing because people don't see the need for it. And sometimes they're actually hostile toward it. And only the Holy Spirit can bring this conviction. John 16, 8 speaking of the Spirit, and when he, the Spirit has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. And so until they get that, 
no interest. And they go, yeah, that's nice. Well, that's good for you. I'm glad you have something you can lean on. But I'll go my own way. You know, to quote Fleetwood Mac, you can go your own way. Well, no, you can't actually, because there's only one way, isn't there? John 14, 6, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through Him. How do we know Jesus? How is that revealed? And why do we come to Him? Not because we're smart, not because we're better, not because we're righteous, but because we were convinced by the Holy Spirit and drawn by the Spirit to the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's very important. So if you lead somebody to the Lord, you didn't actually do it, did you? That was the work of the Holy Spirit. Okay, let's go to point number two. Based upon a logical principle, and it's illustrated by ceremonial righteousness. Okay, and what is it that we need to know? Ceremonial righteousness is not transferred. So he says, if one carries holy meat, good meat, meat that is sanctified, meat that is ready for the sacrifice and for worship, and he carries it in the fold of his garment, and with it it touches the, you know, bread or stew, just ordinary food, wine or oil or any food, will it become holy? So here I am, and uh, we've got a, a law that the sacrifice has to be an unblemished uh, lamb. And so I've got that, and I'm going to offer it to the Lord, or the part of a bull or a goat or something like that that is ready and then over here on the table, there's a bowl of, uh, I don't know, beef stew or chili or something like that. Now, obviously, it's not qualified to be a sacrifice. And maybe there's some bread and some other stuff. But when I'm walking by it, the fold of my garment carrying the holy meat, the sacrificial meat, touches the chili. Does that mean that I can take the chili and offer it to the Lord? Kind of like Cain did, except I know his wasn't chili, but... It was an unacceptable sacrifice. Does it transfer like that? Now, why do I say that's a logical principle? Because it might sound a little weird and eerie and superstitious and, you know, ooh, religious to us. Uh, no, no, let's, this is a really clear and everyday logical principle um, that we find because the priests say no. Here's, here's what I want to ask you a question. Is good health... Contagious. Now we know the flu is contagious. Chickenpox are contagious. Mumps are contagious. COVID is contagious. But is good health contagious? Let's think about this. Does good spread in society? Are we getting better and better and better and better? Or does it seem like evil is spreading in society? That's kind of the point here. Good is not transferred. Okay? Think about this. Put sand in, your in, sand in your engine oil. Does the good oil make the sand beneficial? Well, no, of course not. The sand is going to do its damage and ruin your engine and contaminate the oil. And um, it is our sin that contaminates all of our good works. And of course, we know that because of what the Bible says in the book of Isaiah 64, verse 6. But we are all alike an unclean thing and all our righteousnesses, our good works, our religion, our morals, our ethics and all of that are like filthy rags. We all fade as a leaf and our iniquities are like the wind have taken us away. Now, I skipped over a couple of things that I want to go back to and I want you to think about this. Is good health contagious? 
And um, if you were to go out and uh, just say, I'm a healthy person, and you go to, uh, well, like if we think about in Jesus' day, a leper colony, would you just walk around and touch people and say, may you receive my good health? Well, you know better than that, that's not going to happen. If you, uh, uh, well, let's think about this with people with COVID. If good things were contagious, what we would do is we would take people with COVID right in the throes of all of it and bring them into the midst of a bunch of healthy people, have the healthy people gather around them, touch them and breathe on them and all of that so that the good would overcome the bad. And you know what's going to happen there. That doesn't work in any way, shape or form. In fact, you will probably get COVID. And that's the point that the Lord is making that the good things that we have, the sacrificial meat, does not make the unholy things or the unclean things acceptable all of a sudden. Now, we know that and we get that. And number three, it's based upon an undeniable truth. What is this undeniable truth? Ceremonial unrighteousness is transferred. And so you don't make sick people well by having them hang around good people, but it can be transferred where well people, healthy people, can be made sick by sick people. Isn't that interesting? So the good doesn't transfer, but the bad does, and it does that in everyday life. So in verse 13, Haggai said, If one who is unclean because of a dead body touches any of these, the holy things, will it be unclean? And the priest answered and said, It shall be unclean. Again, it's illustrated in everyday life. Let's say you have five pieces of chicken that you're going to make for supper, and they're all in a pan, and yet there's one piece of the chicken Okay, just one-fifth of the chicken is spoiled. It has salmonella. It's, you know, starting to spoil, or it is spoiled. Okay, now can we count on the fact that we go, well, it's only one piece, and the good pieces, the four good pieces, will compensate for the bad piece. Now, I say this, I ain't eating your dinner if you cook it like that. I used to work in a pizza place, and if I made a pizza with uh, the freshest dough with really good sauce, and then we put the cheese on it, and it's just, you know, uh, primo there. And we put the pepperonis on it, and we put the veggies on it, that type of thing. And then we look on the ticket, and it says, oh, mushrooms are in here. I don't have any. And I go out in the yard, and I gather up some toadstools, chop them up, and I put them on there and say, it'll be good enough because everything, most of the pizza, the vast majority of the pizza is good, even though these toadstools, you know, are not so great. Uh, would you eat the pizza if you knew that? And uh, no, because you don't want to eat that kind of stuff. And it poisons, it contaminates the whole thing. This is what we know about life. And this is what is illustrated when uh, in the Old Testament law it said, if you touch a dead body, you don't come in to the temple as a priest or anything else. And any sacrifice that touches something that is unclean, it becomes unclean. It's an illustration that we see in everyday life, sin Evil, unrighteousness, contaminates everything it touches. No matter how good it looks. You know, there are a lot of people that act righteous, but if you could see their heart, 
or if you knew about their private life, you would, oh, you would really be questioning them. Uh, sin contaminates everything that we have. And so uh, think of COVID again. Does an infected person get well by hanging around uninfected people? And think about back in the days of, the, uh, of Jesus with the lepers. Did they have the lepers say, uh, uh, you've got leprosy. You need to go hang around the temple and hang around people that are clean and rub up against them and let them uh, breathe on you. Then you'll be well. It doesn't work that way. They had to isolate themselves and they had to warn everybody saying, I'm unclean, I'm unclean, and let the healthy people get away. This is what the Lord is saying to them and that's why lepers were separated from the rest of society. So think about this. In the same way, sin has infected the human race and is passed on by natural conception and birth to... Uh, well, what we would call innocent children. They have a sin nature. Okay? Sin is not charged to them until they can understand it because the Bible says, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. But nonetheless, we see evidence of their sin nature even at a very young age. We see it in ourselves too. And no ritual can remedy this. You can't take your baby and get rid of that sin nature by bringing it to the nursery every week. Now, that's a good thing to bring your children to church and have them in the nursery and Sunday school. and all. That's a wonderful thing, but that doesn't remove sin. Having them do good deeds, having them sing Christmas carols at a nursing home is a good thing. I'm glad that uh, they can do that, but that doesn't save anybody. That doesn't get rid of their sin nature. That's not the remedy because everything we touch is contaminated unless the Lord does something with it, right? And so all of our righteousness and all of theirs is as filthy rags. In fact, everything that they tried was sinful and actually increased their guilt. It spread is what God is saying on this. So we're not any better than previous generations, Israel. In fact, we're just like them. And in fact, everything we do and everything we touch, even as we build this temple, is just spreading the sin to more things. Okay? God has to do the cleansing. 1 Corinthians 15, 22 says, For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. And so that's what we have to get. This is all everyday life. This is what we see all the time. So if you're in an airport and some weird looking person comes up that looks extremely sick and they sneeze all over you, you're going to be a little bit worried, aren't you? You may go see the doctor because it's not the good that transferred, it's the evil. And that's what's found all through the Bible. And this is why God set it up this way so that we would have an illustration and an understanding of how sin and evil and depravity can spread, but righteousness Righteousness, sadly, does not. Number four, last point. The truth it illustrates, there is none righteous. Okay? What is the Lord getting across to these people through Haggai? Well, verse 14, Then Haggai answered and said, So is this people, and so is this nation before me, says the Lord. And so is every work of their hands, including the temple, right? 
And what they offer there is unclean. You see, if it's all left up to us, there's nothing we can do. There's no good we can perform. There's nothing that would be acceptable to God. But when we are saved, we are declared righteous. And the reason we're declared righteous is because the judgment for our sin, the condemnation, the penalty for our sin that we deserved was put on Christ. And he's the only one that could pay that price. The infinite son of God could take in three hours what all believers would suffer in hell for eternity. Man, that must have been agonizing. Because what Jesus got was the eternity of hell for everyone who would believe concentrated in a three-hour thing. And that barrage hit him. And that's why he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And so when we think about Jesus doing that, the infinite Son of God absorbed like a sponge all of the wrath that you and I deserved and he was able to pay for it completely. You couldn't do that. I couldn't do that. No ritual we could do that. No amount of church attendance, no amount of tithing, no amount of witnessing, no amount of, of just being good and, and disciplining yourself. None of that could even touch what Christ paid for in three hours. He's the only one who could do it. And so uh, the Lord is saying to them, don't get on your high horse and think of yourself as being better than everybody else because if I left you alone and left you to yourselves, all that would happen by building this temple is the sin gets worse. Same song, second verse, could get better, but it's going to get worse. That's what this remnant was doing because they had the same problem that their forefathers had. They were selfish, self-righteous sinners who were deceived in their hearts about who they are and how good they are. And God has to reveal to them, you're in the same boat, bud, as everybody who has ever lived since Adam, except, of course, for the Lord Jesus Christ. And we forget sometimes that if we're left to ourselves and everything we do is as filthy rags, singing hymns on Sunday morning, prayer time, giving our offerings, teaching Sunday school, preaching a sermon, whatever it might be, it's all wicked, it's all filthy, it's all contaminated and unacceptable to God because all of us are sinners and the Bible says we're sinners by birth and because we have the nature to sin when we're born, that determines our choice to sin. You sin because you're a sinner. You don't become a sinner when you sin. You sin because you're a sinner. It is your nature. And you've heard it said before, a little uh, animal does not say meow and then it's declared to be a cat. It meows because it is a cat, right? Or a dog or whatever it might be uh, doing whatever they do. Dogs do dog things. Cats do cat things. Rabbits do rabbit things. All of that type of thing. And so this kind of shows you why so much of the transgender movement and what's really at the root of that is a rebellion against God, an attempt to try to change who they are and their nature and to say, yeah, we can do it. And yes, the works of our hands can actually change it. Well, no, it doesn't. Because if you took somebody that had all of the, uh, the surgeries and all of the hormones to be uh, made from a man into a woman, if, you were to, if an archaeologist were to dig up their skeleton 3,000 years from now, 
and they tested it, you know what they would find? They would find that it's a skeleton of its original gender. Nothing changed in the DNA, nothing changed in the skeletal structure or anything like that unless it was altered by man, but it doesn't change the nature. That's the point in all of this. Build a temple, offer the sacrifices, do all of that kind of stuff. But if you're depending on that to change your nature and to change your acceptability before God and to change your eternal destiny, you're going to be sadly, sadly mistaken. It has to be a supernatural work of God by His grace. So everything we do is defiled and sin tends to actually get worse, not better. So none of us can ignore this or just assume that we're acceptable to God. We need cleansing and forgiveness, and that has to come from God Himself. It has to come from outside of us, not from within us. Now, it affects us inside, but it doesn't come from us. You see what I'm saying? So this is what the story is, and this is what the message is to Israel. You need a Savior. You don't need a temple as much as you need a Savior. You don't need a little temporary sacrifice as much as you need the ultimate sacrifice that is made by Messiah. You don't need to be doing things to say, Here, God, look how good I am. You need to have God say, I have cleansed you and I have made you righteous and I've done it by the sacrifice of my son. So the conclusion is Israel needed a savior just like we do. They needed cleansing that was not of themselves and Jesus could do the unthinkable, for example, by touching a leper. What do I mean by that? Everybody else that touched a leper, the odds were they were going to get sick and contract leprosy. But Jesus goes up to a leper and he touches him and all of a sudden the leper gets well and the leper is cleaned. Now only Jesus could do that and that's an illustration of what he does. He touches sinners like you and me and guess what happens? We become righteous. The sin doesn't spread. The sin is halted and we become righteous and only Jesus can do that. So Jesus... Um, you know, instead of Jesus being contaminated, the leper is cleansed. And the rituals and the ceremonies did not make anyone righteous. They pointed to Jesus. All the sacrifices and the temple itself points to Jesus, the one who can make the vilest sinner clean. And Jesus is the fulfillment of the law, the one to whom all of the rituals pointed, and the only sacrifice which completely pays for our sins and cleanses those who repent and believe the gospel. Anybody say amen to that? And that's what the world doesn't understand. That's what a lot of church people don't understand. None of this stuff, taking the Lord's Supper, giving an offering, being involved in a church service, or going through the rituals of a church or anything like that, do not get you any closer to God Jesus is the only way to get to God. He's the only mediator between God and man. And so here we are bringing ourselves to the Lord. And it's like, I like that, uh, it's not necessarily new, but it's a newer Christmas song. You know, we have sung for years, O come all ye faithful, joyful and triumphant. I like the one that uh, Sovereign Grace Music has put out. 
called uh, Come All Ye Unfaithful, because that really is the message. We are sinners, and Christ didn't come to save the righteous. He came to save sinners, and uh, that's us, and He's the only way, but praise God He came, and praise God He saves those who call upon Him, and praise God He makes the vilest sinner clean so that we are acceptable to God, and we can live with Him forever in heaven and uh, we are so very grateful to him. So that's a joyous and a wonderful message. See what I mean? It sounds negative, but it's actually positive because it points to our great, glorious, gracious, and forgiving God. To him be the glory. Amen. Thank you for your time. Thank you for watching this today. May the Lord bless you as you teach. And may the Lord bless those of you who watch this to keep up with these things. This is something to rejoice in. And uh, for that, we are very, very thankful. So again, thank you. The Lord bless you. We'll see you next week.